Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today we're talking to Melissa Supernor. She's a good friend of Why Do Pets Matter and the founder of education advocates for veterinary teams. Today, we're going to talk about how vet teams have survived the pandemic and how they've provided client services. So let's hear what she has to say. Hi, everyone. It's Deborah Hamilton, and I'm here again with my dear friend, Melissa Supinor. As you know, she is the founder of Education Advocates for Vet Teams. I love this woman so much because culturally we are almost identical. We want to make sure that the experience of veterinary professionals and pet owners are positive. So, Melissa, welcome back. I mean, we haven't spoken since before the pandemic, so now we have so much to talk about. This might be we a two-hour two program, but... Tell me a little bit about what's been up because the pandemic has created such a different culture for veterinarians and their clients. Some of it good, um, innovative, some of it a little difficult to understand for the vet or the client. So tell me what you've been up to. Uh, well, it's been, uh, well, first of all, Ed, uh, thank you so much for having me back. And it, it's an honor to be here with you again. Um, and, and I just want to say to you that, you know, as much as you say our, our cultures are work together, I think our brains work together um, in a lot of different, you know, avenues and stuff like that. But um, the pandemic is, I, I personally think that the pandemic has shown us um, not only resilience in our field. And, uh, you know, I, I look at it is our, the veterinary field in one part has become the, un, the forgotten frontline workers. Um, they yep. might not be the, the nurses and doctors in the human world, frontline workers, but there are frontline workers. And, and, you know, each time I lecture or I talk to any practice or anything like that, all I do is thank them for their service because they are, are keeping our pets healthy. And with the overabundance of pets um, that have come through in the pandemic, um, and you know that the stats that they're all that are out there, um, you know, the, the amount of things that they're seeing, the amount of pets that they're seeing per day is it's they're They are just exploding in their practices. And, and, you know, on one side, it's a big concern on burnout and compassion fatigue, um, rising in our, in our field, just because of these, um, you know, these amount of appointments that they're seeing. But on the other side is, with, you know, curbside is I think that they have, they learn a lot more about themselves and the communication, um, their team utilization, and really 
um, working as a team. And, and most of the practices that I've actually talked to and actually brought my own pets to, um, the team atmosphere is is a hundred percent better than it has been, you know, before before COVID. And, and it, this is where the positive part of COVID, and I call it the pandemic positivity um, effect, is we I think we have seen our our practices back to how it was before all the conflict actually started really happening through our field. Um, and people are talking to each other again, and people are spending more time because they they are in you know, in it together, um, you know, and anything that happens within the practice, you know, they, they know, you know, they know each other, they know each other well, um, they work together well as a team and their cultures are really starting to get better. And some of the ones that had um, poor cultures before the pandemic, I, I think most of the ones I've talked to have been such a positive influence. Um, and it, And it's not because of the pandemic, because the pandemic has been horrible for people. And I know that a lot of stress from the pandemic, but it's, it's because our team is working together to help because, because of the pandemic and the changes, the teams have to really work harder for their clients um, and the patients. And they really work better as a team now. You know, I think what I'm hearing you say, and I'd love to hear more about it is they chose team over self to survive. Yes. I think that's for sure. Um, I don't hear the, I used to hear a lot, like, why, why not me? Or what, why can't I get what I want or that type of stuff? Like those kind of negative comments that I would get um, from team members. It's really like, how can you help our whole team? And when I go into a practice and now I bring my animals to a wonderful, wonderful practice. And I actually lectured there uh, a couple months ago and when I walked in, it was like a totally different atmosphere. Yeah. It was a team. It, the energy was a positive energy and the team was fun. Um, and they, they really enjoyed working on the pets again. And, you know, they were doing, and it's typical, I'm here lecturing, they're doing a dental um, and they just finished surgery. My pets, my pet was in there to be seen to right after the lecture and they're eating their lunch um, during the lecture. And, you know, it's like, it's like you're watching this team before I even started, I was watching this team and I was at awe because I was like, you know, really last year during the pandemic or right at the beginning of the pandemic, they were just not, it was a very negative culture. And now it's like a totally different culture. It's a positive culture. And yes, they did a lot of work within their team to work towards that positivity, but yet having that closeness without sometimes those, those distractions always works too, because as much as I can say is sometimes the clients are getting really um, upset now because the world changes so often. But I think during the pandemic, when people were doing curbside, they accepted it because everybody was at risk, right? So yep. everybody, you didn't want to walk into the grocery store without knowing that you're like you went in to get what you needed to get and you got out because the risk was there. Now that it's starting to get out of it, I think that's where people are getting more angry now that they can't get out of curbside. But yet, you know, practices are starting to get to that point, especially with with uh, states opening up and stuff like that. But it also gets to the point is we want to keep our team safe. And the thing about it is because when I say that the vet teams are the forgotten frontline workers is a lot of states did not let them get vac vaccinated at the time that, you know, where all the other 
you know, frontline workers are not the nurses and the doctors, but like the, the grocery store people and that type of that, that group. Um, and, and in Massachusetts, they weren't, we were put into the, just the public where none of the public was really doing it. So they're still at risk. And these guys still have people that are in their family that are at risk because of illnesses and stuff like that. And, and it's still a tough thing. So it, it's really looking at that. It's like, let, can we keep our team safe? And yeah, I know it's an inconvenience and that type of stuff, but how can we do this to make this the best for you? And, you know, we're at beautiful weather right now. We're not raining. We're not, you know, it rained once in a while, but it's not like it used to be. It's no snow, none of that stuff. So to be outside with your pet is, I don't think is as, is that big of a deal as it used to be, but that's what I really look at for our teens. I think it's just really important that way. So tell me a little bit more about how the, the, um, bringing of the team indoors and separating the team from the clients because of COVID actually assisted the teams to build a better culture. Um, I think I heard you say that, you know, they really needed to depend on each other and there was less distraction of personality um, with respect to, you know, the different interactions. But Tell me more about how that culture was built during the pandemic that made the teams work better. And I agree with you. They are totally forgotten. Um, pets became so important during COVID and yet, and more pets became available. So more people had pets. Most of them knew people who didn't have any idea how to take care of pets, right. you had to educate them. You couldn't educate them in person because they were sitting outside. So that made a craziness, but it's interesting that the team itself then banded together. So, tell me a little bit more about how you see that trajectory when it occurred, because it seems counterintuitive to me that they'd be under so much more pressure that they might be less inclined to row the boat in the same direction, but you've seen something totally different. Right. And I, and I think from, for what I see now, this is my own opinion is what I, what I see them doing is they're working. Well, first of all, they're busier, right? Because they have yep. more patients coming in. So they're, they're out straight, crazy busy. And I know that when I was in practices and even working as a technician or working as a manager, when you're really busy, your team comes together for the better of the, of the pet. Right. So that's the way they, I think that it's always when, about the pet. Right. But I think when you look at it is if you're really busy, you don't have time to complain. You don't have time to gossip. You don't have time to have all that negativity, right. you're, you're, too, you're right. too busy to be, and you, so I call it like more of a, like a, a busyness to do with positivity. So yep. since you're so busy, you're more positive. You're, you're working really hard, but yet everybody gets a chance to do everything. So if you're a technician working in a practice and say there's, you know, five technicians working in this practice, but you have 25 patients coming in in the morning, you guys have to work together to get that stuff done. And there's, there's, it's different when you have 10 technicians and you have five patients, then you have people that are like wandering and going to do something else. And then there's all that, that inner conflict that people have. And I, I've seen it a ton, right. And I was actually probably part of it at times too, because if I'm really working hard and I'm seeing all those 10 patients by myself, but yet everybody else is flitting all these other places and they're chit-chatting and stuff. It gets you, you get angry at that or you get mad. Or, is that they're you know, not working right. as hard as me, right? Right. So then I look at it on the other side is like, they're so busy that they have to be a team to get through it. But on the other side is, is we all went through this pandemic. And I think 
personally, what I have seen for families and friends is we have become closer because everybody's on Zoom or they're on their devices and everything per day, right? Kids are on Zoom calls because that's how they were able to do school and all that stuff. So at night, you are so sick and tired of being on Zoom calls or even dealing with your devices or dealing with emails or all those stuff that you put it away. So then we brought back the family unit and the family, I mean, the, the friend unit where we're eating dinner together again. We're talking to each other again, where we want to hear what the kids are, you know, are enjoying what they're enjoying during school or what are they learning and stuff. You know, people are outside more like it before the pandemic, people were never out. And when I say outside, it wasn't like we're outside gathering. They're outside playing in their yards and stuff like that, where, you know, before the pandemic, kids were always doing homework at, at night. Well, what do they have to do homework at night when they're they're home all day? So they have their recess time or they have their time. And I only know this from my own nieces and nephew is when they have their their free time, say their free, you know, uh, hour or whatever, lunchtime or whatever, they can work on other stuff. They can eat at home so they can work and eat at the same time, which in its own way is good because they can get their homework done that they have. And then they don't have then they have more free time. But we all have that now. Right. So. When you go and you have dinner with your friends and everybody's on their cell phone, that's right. not happening anymore. Like I actually will go to dinner and have conversations and I don't, I actually, I mean, you know me, I love social media. I love all that stuff, but I don't like it anymore because I'm at a point where if I'm doing it all day, the last thing I want to do is pick it up at night. Yeah. And if somebody messages me, I know it's okay. And this is where people really have to start. And we were talking about this beforehand. It's like, pause and say, do I have to answer that now? I actually will schedule myself out now, like block off four hours of a day and say, this is my time. Yep. And, and I say that because I can do it because I'm home right now. I can do it. But yet on the other hand is when I'm working is I'll work Monday through Friday, right? I don't care what those hours are. They can be 10 hour days. I don't care. My Saturday and Sunday are mine. If I work a Saturday and Sunday, then there should be a couple days during the week or half days during the week that I can take off. That kind of thing where it's me. It has to be in me to make those schedules. Not, It's not around my company. It's not around um, my friends or my family. It's me. So, And I talk about this all the time when I lecture, is I schedule a half hour sometime in the day to go for a walk, for a bike ride, or whatever the case would be, where I have my cell phone because one, you don't ever get, you don't know when you're ever going to need that, but I don't answer it if somebody calls unless it's an emergency and I'll know it's an emergency because only certain people call me on my phone, my cell phone for emergencies. But then on the other hand is if I get an email or something like that, I don't look at it. I don't, I don't look at it. I use my cell phone for music and that's it for my walk. And, you know, I do that because I need that time. Now, if I had a kind of a bad day at work, excuse me, or I have a bad day at home or whatever the case would be, or from tight or whatever, I'll block off the rest of the day and I won't answer the phone. And, you know, it's bad in its own way, but I will let it go to a voicemail. And if somebody needs me, I'll call them back. I mean, if they need me that bad, they can wait five minutes for me to call them back kind of thing. So I think that's what I look at is we have become, and I say the society that we were in the eighties, right? So 
we take what we have to do. We work really hard during the day, but we take our time what we want at night. And I think our teams are doing the same thing where they work really hard. They stay together as a team. And, you know, we work longer, you know, we at work than sometimes we are with our families. Like we have longer time that we are with our work families than we are with our, our regular families. And I think it really bonds us. And I do honestly think, and this was my last thing on this, this point is the pandemic was a very scary time, right? Because you didn't know who was going to get sick. You didn't know who was going to pass. You didn't know how this pandemic was going to, you know, what was the new normal going to be? Like, we didn't know what that was going to be. And was there going to be a new normal? Was there ever going to be normalcy again? And I think our teams really looked at that as like, they can do a lot for the pets and they brought back their passion for the pets. And they, they kind of had to put aside that, that fear factor, but they worked together on that fear factor. And I always started in our practices that had somebody that came up positive, how much more they actually bonded over that positive, positive person, you know, for COVID, that positive COVID right. person. Then, then they did, like, if you just came in and said you were sick from something, then you never always saw that people gathered together to be there for that person. But when somebody came back positive for COVID and their family did or whatever the case would be, you saw a different atmosphere for that, right? Because you didn't know what was going to happen. And I think that that's where our teams got more positivity from the fear factor, if that can even be a positive thing. Um, yeah, and, because and, we're, we're all in it together and we want right. all the team members to make it out. Right. And I think that you are, the whole entire veterinary community was in it together. Yeah. One way or the other. And all the negativity that happened before COVID was gone. Like for the first time in many years, I can say how much I enjoy my, my veterinary community again. You know, during this time when I was, and, and it's okay to say, when I was unemployed and, you know, I was looking for a position, I, I was at a point where, you know, negativity started to creep into my world, right? And I never saw, as I as I look at the negativity that was creeping in, the, the support that came from my friends and colleagues was huge. And I think that that's really what you start to see is, you know who your friends are and yeah. you know who the people are that come out and say, all they have to do is call you or send you a message and say, hey, I just wanna know how you're doing. That's it. I don't need to talk to you for hours. I just wanna know if you're okay, if your family's okay, if everybody's okay. And I think that alone and I did it on both sides. Like I would reach out to people and ask that same question. And it wasn't, it was just, I just want to make sure you're okay because we're going through some real scary times and it's something we've never gone through before. And I'm here to support you. Yeah, and if I, we all could do that going, yeah. If we all can do that going forth, I think we'll see a, a total change in the community even better. I, you know, I, I love this because it showed how the veterinary community supported itself. And we all know that the veterinary community is very vulnerable. It's the highest uh, profession with suicide. And we both work very closely with NAMVI, not one more vet, to make sure that we support vets and vet technicians and everyone in the vet field. Because it seems that um, clients can sometimes be a little difficult um, because of the emotional nature of bringing their pet to the vet. And um, some vets are really good at communicating with their clients and some vets aren't. So I heard everything you said about how the vet team supported itself to get through COVID 
But I know there was another party in that mix, which was the client who created its own needs um, and possibly uh, disruptions that were because they were going through the same thing we all were going through, which is, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. This might be my first pet ever because, you know, we were home and it was a good time to get a pet. So I know nothing. And I'm sitting out here. I can honestly say I'll raise my hand when I was sitting outside and right. everybody kept going in and I wasn't going in and I'd been there for an hour. I got a little hot and bothered. And mm-hmm. I know, like, you know, that we sit there, we breathe, we go, okay, so I'll get there when I'm supposed to get there. I'm sure there's a reason. But how did veterinary practice and teams um, learn how to communicate? Because some did it much better than others, because you saw a lot of Facebook posts about pet owners trashing veterinarians who weren't meeting their desired needs. And then there were others who said, you know, my vet did the best they could and um, kept me informed. How did vet teams, once they you know, gelled so beautifully to take care of each other, then decide how to take care of the pet owner who is who's sitting outside waiting for them. Well, I mean, as I, as I said, you know, I had to bring, um, and we talked about this beforehand. I had to bring my, my old cat, um, who I actually was at a point where she was sick enough that I, I had, I was at that point where I was either going to have to try to figure out what was wrong with her or she was going to, I was going to have to, uh, euthanize her. And, and, you know, that, that, you know, being scared and that, in that angry phase of, a really grieving a pet. And I didn't end up euthanizing her. I, I did go through the diagnostic tool, but, you know, I look at it as here, I'm sitting outside, right. I'm sitting in the car. And of course, and you, like know, all of us, you know, what's going, I know what's going on in there. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I know what's going right. on there. And, you know, I, I know that they love and I, and I respect and I love my practice so much. And I know that they love the pets and they, and they're doing everything they can and I know when they're working on, say, five pets at the same time, is you're they're not as worried about going out and, and talking to you. Um, and, and I think that they, it, you know, people that are in animals like you and I are, they sometimes forget. And I'm not criticizing. This is not. No, a criticism, there's no but sometimes criticism they, here at all. So anybody right. who's listening, we're not criticizing. We're just trying right. to help so people understand right. the, the, the machinations that go on. Right. So sometimes they, they forget that I'm in, they, they remember I'm in veterinary medicine, but they forget that, you know, I'm still this, you know, a, a pet scared owner. pet owner. Right. So as you say, you know, you know, what's going on in there. I do. I know that they're, they're taking care of those pets the best they can. And they, and they have a overabundance of pets and they're trying to communicate with everyone and, and they're trying to do their best. But again, like every practice, because the pets have gotten, and an abundance of pets are coming in, they're always still short-staffed. And, and we say that enough through the field that there's not enough support staff, there's not enough veterinarians, there's not enough at techs, there's not enough CSRs that, that you know, uh, managers that are doing their job the best they can, but there's not enough out there to warrant that every practice is has enough staff to be fully staffed. Like, there's just not enough, um, especially on credentialed and credentialed techs and veterinarians. There's just not enough out there. And we know that because there's so much competition. So having that said is if you have an overabundance of pets and you have short staff, one thing that's going to fall to the wayside is the communication factor, right? But it's not because they're not doing it right. It's because they just have too many to do. 
Yeah, so, they make choices and they do the right. animals over the communication. And unless you communicate that to the client, it sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. Right. And even if, and, and this is where I'll say, when I was in practice, even if the, the, the um, owner is in the exam room, what happens when that owner's in the exam room and they're and the animals in the back with the, the staff getting the or not in the back in the treatment area? Because you never right. want to say in the back, but in the treatment area and they're getting the blood draw, they're in X-rays, or whatever. X-ray, and the right. owner mm-hmm. hears, so they're going to hear either a cat screaming or a dog barking or a dog, you know, making. And it's my dog whatever. or my cat. They automatically assume it's their animal, right? And I would do the same thing because if I heard a cat screaming and I know my cat's back there getting blood, I would assume it's my cat that's screaming. But because I'm there in the field, most times I'll be like, well, you know what? She's not always the nicest cat. She might be screaming. They may probably are not doing anything to her. And she's already screaming. Now, I get lovely cats. I can tell you. But when I have to do somebody's ears or do somebody's nails the noises you hear come out of these cats, you would think I was killing them in this house. Yeah. So that the factor alone is such a different factor, right? So the clients aren't hearing that, but now they're not hearing anything. So now it's even more of a. a and if you're backed up with clients, you can't right. get to them while, you know, they're in the parking lot. You might right. say, well, we'll call you this afternoon. And then, you know, I'm a crazy person. Right. So if you think about it is if, a lot of practices are having clients just drop off their pets in the morning and then pick them up like right afternoon or whatever. So they have that four hour span or whatever the case would be to take care of the pet. But what happens when the client goes home and they're sitting in their house? Oh my God. Waiting right. The four hours, right? So they don't hear anything to come pick up their pet. So now it's, so it doesn't matter if they're in the parking lot, if they're at their house, the, the wheels the are fear, going the right. The fear of the unknown is what? what's, is what's really making this anger build up, right? So as if you can say it to an owner is, please be patient with your the veterinary staff. They're doing their best that they can do. But on the veterinary side is, if we think about it is all that client wants is communication, right? Right, right. So how can we communicate better with the client that maybe it's not verbal, Maybe it's a picture of your pet having fun with a technician. Send it to them on a text right. or find some of these technology companies that you can send stuff just right through their dashboard or right through, um, you know, your your practice management tool is you can send, you know, an update to the client right from there. So they get it on their email. They get it on their cell phone. It's like our communication is what we forget is. Yes, it is verbal. It doesn't have to be. But it does it have all to have to be right. verbal? And a picture, that's such a great, because when you said, please be patient, my the hair on the back of my neck stood up because how dare you tell me to be patient? You have my dog, I want to know. And because we both are in linguistics and we teach our, our clients and our staffs how to say things, sometimes instead of saying being patient, it's often a good thing to say, you know, I know this is the toughest time. And if I were in your shoes, I'd be feeling the same way you do. And it just diffuses it. It's like that picture that you sent of the cat or the dog playing with the tech because you want to diffuse right. it. 
instead of telling them how they should feel, just hold a, a safe space for how they actually do feel. I am so angry at my vet. Uh, they haven't called me. They haven't texted me. They've done nothing. And if you just say, I know this is the toughest time, isn't it? I remember, like you just said, I remember sitting outside and not knowing what was going on. And I know what's going on inside pretty much, but I'm a pet owner now, not an accomplished um, vet tech leader. So, you know, you're sitting there and you're going, holy Toledo. Often it simply is that picture of the dog or the cat in the back saying hello. Um, and just, I, I often say, if you have something that is, um, uh, it can go across the board, right? So it's it's just, we know right. that this is a long time. And if we were sitting in the car like you were, we would be really um, wanting to have information. And we just want you to know how much we appreciate you giving us the time to do a thorough check of your dog or cat, bird or horse, whatever, before we get back to you. And we just want to let you know how much we appreciate your patience. Right. You know? It, it's it's that it's that upfront. You know, you're you're doing this in a really tough time. And I loved when you said, you know, teams are working together now better because they all are rowing the boat. You know, the boat is sort of has a few holes in it and they're rowing as fast as they can because of all the things that are coming with COVID. They're putting their finger in the hole and they're rowing at the same time. And now with the clients, that communication piece, which is sort of a hole. It's not as it's it's up on the side somewhere. It's really not going to sink the boat. Some water will come in, but it's not going to sink the boat. And yet what occurs sometimes is that those people then go on the Internet and say terrible things. And how do you address that? Because you did the best you could. You you got back to them with the information, but they were so frustrated that they went ahead and, and said awful things. Have you had an experience like that? And how did you handle it? Well, you know, I. I, I think we people have to get off of social media for complaints, reviews, negativity, and that type of stuff. right? Let's all just put positive things up. Yeah, because I, I look at it. Yeah. So I and I, I lot of not a lot of people know is I, I used to love social media and I was saying during the pandemic I didn't really like it. I actually went off of social media for quite a long time and all I was doing was really posting for you know companies or organizations that I that I work with. Um, and then recently I said, you know what? I'm only going to post pictures of my cats or, you know, yeah, the sunrise or sunset. That's Miss yeah. Crackle. So, so as, as I look at, you know, what we do is, so our field is complaining about clients and our clients are complaining about us. But if we all came together and communicated together, would those complaints happen? Probably not. No. But I think that one, if I, the best way to look at it is what did I do and, and I'm going to say it in the right way. And what did I do right? And what did I do wrong right. with that pet? Always so positive. If the client is upset, how can I diffuse it on a verbal conversation with them? Like, can I pick up the phone and call them? You know, as a manager, I hated doing those because I knew that I was going to sit there and get yelled at. Right. And but yet, because I set, picked up the phone and called them, you diffused it. I diffused it so they got off of social media. Now, if they got on to Yelp or one of those and did a review, they did it, right? I can't stop that. But social media is different than Yelp. It's different than those review channels that are set up for reviews. Like, I can't stop Google reviews and those type of things. But I think if, if there's a bashing of a veterinary practice on social media or on their social media, it really is a cyberbullying tactic, right? Yeah. So my biggest thing is 
is how can we communicate better together versus having these conversations on social media? And I watch all the social media interactions and I don't say anything and I probably should, but you know what? Then it just becomes a negative to me and people are, when they're angry, they're angry. Yeah. But, and no matter if it was on the client side or on the practice side is if I said something, it would be, honestly, it would be more of a negative than it would be a positive. And all I really want to do is be like, you know what? Pick up the phone. If this is a true client of yours and you know this client, as much as angry as they are, if you pick up the phone, I bet you any amount of money, you can have a conversation and you can diffuse that situation. And it's most times before it actually gets on social media. But if you don't do it before it gets on social media, it becomes, a, especially if it goes up on a Friday right. or a Saturday and you don't pick it up, you, you are have such a negative thing on your practice by Monday. Right. Yeah, they, they, all the all the people come out to agree. And it's interesting you said that because I get a lot of clients who call me who are upset with veterinarians because you know what I do. I resolve conflicts between people over animals. And it, often it's the client with their veterinarian. And then right. when they tell me, listen, I put up a really bad review on Yelp. And I said, how is that going to serve you? Right. Go, well, I got to tell them. And I said, well, do you want to have a conversation with the vet? Yeah, I do. I said, so how's that going to serve you to have a conversation with the vet? I said, you might want to rethink that. You might want to go take it down. So here I am, a third party, saying I'm not the vet. I'm not advocating for the vet. I'm advocating for a conversation between the client and the vet. Because how do you how do you have that conversation? Like you said, pick up the phone, you know, put on your big girl pants, pick up the phone and say, Melissa, you know, I I think you didn't have the kind of um, experience here at ABC Vet that we wanted. Tell me a little bit more about it. And you know that I do the stop, drop and roll, right? Stop talking and listen yeah. the need to be right, because that's one of the things that we all want to be. And um, my new mantra is I'd want to get it right. I don't want to be right. Um, and the last one is let it roll off your back. And that was what you talked about. You know, let them say what they you know need to say because they're crazy. And and I use that word lovingly because it drives me crazy when people refer to other people as crazy because we're all crazy, especially now during COVID. Um, but let them say something. And, and I had someone tell me over the weekend, well, if you don't stand up for yourself in that moment, then you're letting them get away with it. And I think you'll agree with me, but tell me after I'm finished. I think that if you thoughtfully say, Melissa, I appreciate you giving me this information. And I know it took a lot of courage for you to say what you needed to say to me. Can I have the weekend and we'll get back together on Monday and um, chat about it? Because I want to just really be thoughtful about um, what happened, find out more, and then be thoughtful about my response. What would your response to me be if you were the client and I was the vet? It would be it would be an automatic Yes, you, you, let's let's talk on Monday. But you know what? The other and then, side of course, of Melissa, be, you and I both know the vet has to call on Monday, which is not right. always. The, but that's yeah, what the thing is, is that if it's not the vet, it should be a practice manager or somebody in the leadership position should be calling that client. You know, and early they all enough, have to not, have not too early, but yeah. early enough to be able no. to have that conversation right. and, and, and be respectful and, of their time and say, listen, I would love to time. talk to you about this more in depth is this a good time to talk? I want to be respectful of your time and then listen to the response. Because if you're not, if you're asking questions and you're not listening to the response, then don't have the conversation. Because if yeah. you're not going to be able to sit there and have a conversation because there's all this craziness behind you, then find somebody that can have that. Yep. Now, I have had clients that 
when I've had these conversations and I did them as the practice manager, I never really had my doctors do it or my, or my staff do it. I did it as the practice manager because one, I had more time because what my responsibilities were, were not really encompassing an animal related activity. So I wasn't doing surgeries. I wasn't doing appointments. So I would have that conversation and I would say, you know, if I was talking to him on a Friday and say, you know, I'll get back to you on Monday and we'll have that conversation. I probably would say, would you be able to do this at you know, 11 whatever. o'clock? Yeah. You know, whatever the case would be and let them set the time because then I know that they're uninterrupted time. If they wanted to talk at eight o'clock at night, honestly, if it was bad enough that I needed to get on that phone call, even though it was beyond the time that I would actually and have I'm, it. And I'm conscious and can make good decisions. I would, right. I would actually do it because I would be, I would want to do it in a way that they would be able to have uninterrupted time. And maybe that's the only time that they had. Yeah. Um, And that wouldn't happen all the time, but yet as much as I would say is it was about the communication and I, not that I diffused everything. I didn't, there was times when we still had to get the regional leadership involved or, or, or even, you know, higher up the rankings involved, but yet, at least the conversation was started. Absolutely. And then it was and documented. Key. And right. that's key. And you know what? That's what my, when, because you know, I speak to both sides. I speak to veterinarians who call me and say, Deborah, help, um, who don't have someone wonderful like you on their staff. Um, or it's the client. And I go, well, do you want to have that conversation or do you want to, you know, um, sort of put fuel on the fire? I said, so I don't help with fuel on the fire, not my job. However, I will help you facilitate. And a lot of that has to do with listening. And I was giving a program to a group of veterinarians in Australia at 4.30 in the morning because of time differences, right? And at the end of the program, they all said, you mean we don't have to answer them right away? And I think, Melissa, that's what you and I talk about all the time. Some people feel as if I have to give you an answer right now. If you're threatening me or if you're being reactive or defensive toward me, I have to be reactive and defensive toward you. And what you and I have both learned is that taking a beat, taking a breath um, and letting everybody cool down for 24 hours or for 48 hours often leads to a better outcome for everyone. Right. And this works well. Exactly what you're saying works really well, even with the staff conflict. Right. You know, if if you have a, a really bad day with a staff member where they are very negative or there was an incident that happened or whatever, it's best to even if it was even just have them go out for a walk or to go for lunch or whatever is to give them that time to pause, give them the permission to pause. And I think that's what the problem is, is that because you're saying that we just need to respond right away, how many times do we respond inappropriately because we respond to so quickly? Yep. And it can happen Act on in staff. Act in leisure. It, that is like exactly. my mother's biggest mantra. It, it, it can be staff. It can be, you know, or, or team members. I don't even like the word staff anymore. I don't like an employee anymore. I like right. team members. But if I look at it as, it's like, I've done it myself. Where if somebody sends me a text and say I'm just aggravated over an incident that happened and I respond back to them, no matter if they were part of it or not, it's going to come across more negative than it might have might have meant to be because of my, where where my thoughts are. Yeah. And then I have two people now, now I have the people that were in the incident. Now I have the person that I responded poorly to that I have to deal with. And, and you really have to look at it. And, and I, I didn't do start doing this until pandemic. 
And I did it in the pandemic because I wanted to see what happened. I never paused. I responded. I responded poorly. But yet now during the pandemic, I I will pause. And I do believe if it's an angry client, you do need to respond one way or the other. Either call them and say, I understand what happened. Let's talk on A, B, and C. Or send them an email and say, hey, Mrs. Jones, would you mind, you know, can we talk at 12 o'clock on Monday so I can gather the information I need to gather from the incident that happened? And most times that will start. That little two lines, three lines will stop that client from going I'm going to Yelp or Google. Yes. And then they'll give you till Monday or, or the next day or whatever the case would be before they go to there, right? So if you promise them you're going to talk to them by noontime on Monday, better you better there. talk to them by noontime by Monday because if yep. not, 12.01, they're on social media saying, oh, I got this email saying blah, blah, blah. Now yeah. they're not calling me and they're hiding from the fact and stuff. And now they keep, you know. And they're probably the covering pause. everything up, which you don't have right. time to do, but yes. Right. Yes. It's about the pause, but to, to you know, yeah. Tell them that you understand their their issue, their concern, whatever the case would be. And using positive terms like concern versus issue are better, right? Yeah. If I call you and say, hey, Deb, I know you have a concern over A, B, and C, you're going to be like, yeah, I do have a concern. But yeah. if I call you and say, I heard you had an issue about A, B, and C, there's a huge difference between those two sentences. And it's, it's so important. Defensive, reactive, exactly. right? Exactly. It's so really important. Defensive. Right. And it's so important to have the right terms. And even if you don't do it right the first time is learn from your mistakes or learn from what you didn't do right. And I do this every time is if I have a and it's funny because I I lecture about this all the time, but I actually had a practice that was like an hour and a half away from me. So I had a huge commute per day, but I use that hour and a half to go through my day. I don't I didn't I always had a I say a tape recorder, that's going to date, date me so much, but I have my cell phone that I actually can record what I'm, what I'm saying. Right. So I record on the way home, I would record my thoughts. So then I can get home and write them down in a notebook or a journal or something like that. So I can look back. Now I write it in pen, but I write it in my journal because then it's permanent, even though I can rip out the page. Right. But it's permanent versus a pencil that I can go back and erase. So I look at it is, is that I write down, Everything that happened, all the all the situations that happened, negative situations that happened in the practice, and how did I handle it? And I had to be honest in how I handle it. And if I did not handle it to the best of my ability, what can I learn from it? Yep. Not threatening negative thoughts into my head and uh, I suck, I do this, I do that, and I didn't do this right and that type of stuff. It's like, what can I do better the next day? So I come back as a better manager, as a better team member, as a better leader in that practice, how can I do it better? And if I do find that I was wrong in a situation, I go back to that person and pull them aside and apologize for what I said or what I did wrong or whatever the case would be. And that way they know that I recognize that I was not perfect and we cannot be perfect in the practices, right? You cannot be perfect in daily life. You can't, but if you can look at yourself and have your own constructive criticism and not the negative criticism that a lot of people do. And that's where our, our field gets to the point where they're burnt out and they're compassion fatigue because of that negative criticism that you do to yourself, those negative thoughts of yourself and you beat yourself up. We have to stop beating ourselves up and really start to look at stuff in a more positive way to try to learn from it. And, and if you don't, if you do it this way, 
you're going to think people are crazy when they talk to themselves in their car or they talk to themselves when they're, you know, but honestly, it has worked wonders for me. And I, I, I am something I'm, so important. I'm so in awe of that because that is the quintessential way to double back when you're alone and talk to yourself about how you responded. And that's when you can either be critical of yourself or that you can actually learn from the experience and um, come out of it better. So I'm going to have you back on because I want to talk about this journaling in veterinary medicine and also journaling as a pet owner on how you're responding to your vet. Because this journaling ability on how I'm speaking to someone, you know, it can start as a microcosm, how I speak to my vet or how my vet speaks to me or, you know, how I speak to my right. clients. But then it could go, you know, wider because as you and I both know, unless we take we can only change how we, I love when you said use concern instead of issue, unless we take ourselves to account and understand what we're bringing to the table, our biases, the lens we look through um, when we're talking to our client or when we're talking to our veterinarian, we're just going to perpetuate this. So you're coming back. I'm sure it'll be in a week. Um, <laughs> and, and you're going to talk about that journaling because you know what, that's such an important and impactful piece of helping pet owners understand what they're bringing to the table when they're talking to their veterinarian and veterinarians understanding how they're being perceived and probably not in a way they want to be perceived, but because as we started at the beginning, they're working so hard and everybody's rowing the boat so fast and trying to get everything done. They don't take that time to pause. And right. you, know, you and I both love that recording part of our phones because I sit there and I dump my bucket and you dump your bucket. And then I go back and listen to it and I go, my God, I wouldn't talk to that person. And I I'm listening to myself. <laughs> right. And, you know, it, you know, and I, I look at it this way is, and, and this will be like my, my ending thought is I've been in veterinary medicine for over 30 years now. I hit my 30 years during the pandemic. Um, and, and I, and I look at it is I have had some wonderful, wonderful clients and clients are and pet owners, whatever you, I actually like pet owners over, you know, or pet families over, right. you know, clients now too, or customers. But I look at it is, is that they want the best for their pets. But on the other side is as the veterinary practices, they want the best for those pets too. And what's so important to encompass and really to understand is, is that pet owner is part of that medical team. Yep. And we forget that. I forget it when I'm the owner, I forget that I'm part of that team because if I don't, if I do either di I, all the diagnostics on my pet and I have all the medications and I, I have to say, I, I'm really bad about medicating my pets, but if I have all this stuff and I get, I pay for everything and I bring it home and I do nothing and I just put it into the closet and I say, I'm not doing that because I can't do it. My cat's too mean or whatever the case would be. We didn't do, I, I should say, and I'll, I'll put it on myself. If I did not teach that client the right way to do that medication or whatever the case would be, or be there as a support for that team, that um, client as part of that um, medical team, because that's their pet, then I, then I need to get back to that and do something to help support them better, right? So, you know, I look at it as there's a, there's a way around this is that as much as we say is that pet's the middle that pet is not walking in with their own checkbook, right? They're not walking in by themselves. They're walking in with a family that's there. That pet, as much as they can say in any different 
uh, terms is that pet is most times and just like, and this is where we didn't start off by saying, why do pets matter? Which is why we came here, right? Yeah. But that pet is not only the center of that family, and we do know it because my cats are the center of my my family. And my, my dogs are mine. My my love is my pets, right? But the other side is is that 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 veterinary practice that pet for that brief time that they're in that appointment is the center of that practice. Everybody's working on that pet or that medical team or whatever the case would be. So if they have diagnostics, somebody's doing the diagnostics for them, doing radiology, but somebody's doing that. So it's not just like one person is dealing with that pet. That's a whole team in there. So for that time and that pet's in that appointment, and I know it, I've been doing it for a lot of years. That pet is the center of that practice right now. That's what matters, right? Right. That pet pet matters. if If you take both those sides and say, if that pet's the middle, then everybody's the team. And if you take both sides and you understand that the client is, has fears because they don't, they know that there's something wrong with their pet and they don't know what it is and they just need that help and that support. Then the other side is, is that if we learn to really communicate better or communicate some way with that client that might be outside of that norm. And if the pandemic taught us anything is, is how to communicate differently with a client because they're not in front of us anymore is we will be better as a team with that client as part of that team. And that's so important. You know, you are, you are my idol and I can't wait to have you back about the journal and to continue this discussion because you and I both know that communication is key. I love that you said that we're both, we're all on this team, the pet owner, the veterinarians, veterinarians, the vet team, everybody's together trying to make sure that these animals live a long and happy life. Um, so Melissa Supinor, um, founder of Educational Advocates for Vet Teams and so much more. You'll tell us about that next time we see you. But until thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Fabulous. And everyone, don't forget to come back and listen this Thursday and every Thursday to the next installment of Why Do Pets Matter? And remember, Wednesday nights are the map plan. Take care and give your pet a hug for me, Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter and Hamilton Lawn Mediation. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.